1: Hey, sexy pants, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 260. Over at the Nerdist YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nerdist. Uh, we have a bunch of new stuff going up. Uh, there's a season finale of Cop Skyrim, Nerd Turns, Just Cause from Gallifrey 1, the Ben Folds video, Baba Booey, a lot of fun stuff. It is a digital party over at the Nerdist YouTube channel. So go to youtube.com slash nerdist, click subscribe, because I asked nicely, because I should use an adverb there to... Or I can talk dirty, like, yeah, friggin' click subscribe, you bastard. And then I, uh, I'm no good at that. I am no good at digitally grabbing your hair and forcing you to click subscribe. So back to the nice guys. Please? Uh, also, you can support the Nerdist Podcast uh, by shopping at Amazon through the link on this episode of the Nerdist Podcast page at Nerdist.com. Go to uh, find the graphic on the post that says Amazon.com. It was designed by our friend Dana Electenberg. You click on that and you shop for things that you would normally buy, whether it's, I don't know, protein bars or Swiffers or extra tubes of toothpaste Maybe I'm just listing things that I've purchased recently because I have to buy travel sizes of everything, and I like to have a lot of it on hand. I have a cabinet full of travel size things. It almost, it looks like the travel aisle at a Rite Aid because I always, I'm just a guy on the go, people. Uh, And in keeping with that, I am in New York right now, and I just podcasted today. uh, These two guys, Rob Burnett and John Beckerman. Rob Burnett, is the executive producer of *The Late Show* with David Letterman. He's been with Letterman since '85. He started on the show as an intern. He's worked there the entire, pretty much the entire time. Uh, John Beckerman also uh, writes for the show. Was head writer as well, and uh, really great guys. And like being with him is like being in the writers' room, and such such great stories. Um, and they also wrote a movie together called We Made This Movie, which is now available uh, on the iTunes and other digital platforms where you might buy uh, quality entertainment. So check that out. They talk a little bit about that in this uh, in this episode, but just really terrific guys. And uh, this was so so much fun and so informative. And uh, I think, I, I, I believe you will enjoy this. Even if you don't know these guys by names, you certainly have been influenced by their work. Uh, and for guys who have been on a show that long they're not like cranky or or bitter they're just super nice happy guys who have great jobs on one of the most iconic shows in our culture so here it is episode number 260 with rob burnett and john beckerman
0: now entering nerdist.com Like you're going to the doctor, doesn't it? <laughs> I, just, I just need you to relax. <laughs> Everything you're doing, you're no, plugging things in, you're just, pulling things out. I just, need you
2: to just let The this little happen. comments to you, like, yeah, it's good. Right? It has it looks good. That, oh, oh, oh no. Oh,
1: that's Ooh. not good. Ooh. Listen, you don't have to be anywhere, do you, for the next <laughs> year?
0: <laughs> you don't have family.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you're going to want to contact your lawyer.
0: It's just a precaution.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about
0: it. <laughs> Uh, Well, thank you for having me here in your offices uh, here at the Ed Sullivan Theater. Thanks for being here. It is a pleasure to meet you. Huge fan. I spend uh, 45 minutes in my car every day. 90 minutes if you count both ways. Oh, my God. Two and a half hours if some idiot runs out of gas on the West Side Highway <laughs> listening to your show. That's it's amazing. Well, I, thank
2: you very much. I work from home, so I've never heard the show. But, no, <laughs> that's not true. And, and, and is that going to continue with this episode, or do you think you're going to give it a shot? I might check this one out. This might be the one that does it. Okay, yeah. good.
0: See no, I,
2: I, I also listen to and enjoy the show, so we can get that out of the way.
0: See, for me, it's the opposite. I remember I, I was on the... Mates, Tom Kavanaugh and mm-hmm. uh, Michaeline Blacks, an, a nerdist property. I, <laughs> yes. I, I want to get into that because I, when I saw that, I just you're now taking over the podcasting world.
1: Um, <laughs> one podcast, one at, podcast a time. at a time. <laughs> my <laughs> tiny corner of the internet.
0: Yeah, and that was odd for me. So I, I bullied my way onto their show as a guest. Yeah, because I love it, and then inadvertently ruined my commute because I. Ruined their show by being on it, so then I couldn't listen to that one. So then it was like, it was horrible. Can you not listen to yourself? Well, if I'm funny, yeah, so no. <laughs>
1: oh, shit. <laughs> Good. Well, it's nice to know that, that even in your position, you're still just as critical as, oh, yes. as the day you started. Hey, we're all in comedy. We're all idiots. We're all insecure. We know how it is. Oh, God, absolutely. I guess the day that you're like, yep, I got this comedy thing figured out is the day you should really. Yeah. Uh, introduce yourself and tell everyone who you what you do.
2: Hey, I'm John Beckerman. Um, Um, I've been a comedy writer for like 20 years now. Uh, I got started on The Letterman Show um, pretty much right out of college in Dave's last year at NBC. Uh, And like two weeks later, Rob, who's sitting next to me here, became the head writer. And uh, so we've been collaborating on stuff for many, many years now. including, uh, you know, besides Letterman, the TV show Ed that ran on NBC for a few years. Uh, Well, I didn't didn't hear the end of that from my dad. You know, my dad was a professional bowler. (laughs) And so my dad was like, you should
1: have made Ed. And I was like, Dad... Just because there's a bowling element to it, and you yeah. were in bowling,
2: doesn't mean that I'm going to be involved with every bowling-related endeavor. Right. Meanwhile, like I'm lucky to break hundred bowling, so <laughs> um, it wasn't exactly a passion. Before, oh, you before the, the show. Yeah, no, he was right. But uh, but yeah, so you know that, of course, is how we got to know uh, Mike and Tom, and uh, then you know we, we've done other stuff since. We did a show called Nights of Prosperity that. I think is best known now for being the show that Sofia Vergara did before Modern Family.
1: Was that, that was, uh, that was, uh, uh, was Kevin Michael Richardson in that? And yes, Joel Logue? I yes. F- I love that. And, and oh,
0: thank was you. Was JP yeah. no.
1: New
0: in that? No. Was. no. There's a big poster right there. There's yeah, the there's right everybody.
2: There. It was Maz Jobrani. Oh, Maz yeah, Maz, yeah, Maz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, it was just one of those shows that I think had, you know, it, it, it was just an uphill battle figuring out how to market it and, uh, well, (laughs) that may be a story for another time, but it was great. I mean, we, we, uh, we had always dreamed of doing something with Donal, um, who we had known for many, many years and, uh, he came off grounded for life and this, that sort of became our opportunity to write something for him. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, and then that brings us to, we made this movie, um, which Rob and I wrote together and, uh, I produced as well um that's where, where
1: that's did who you I am this time to write a
2: movie
1: in the middle of making a daily television
0: show well you know i I've been concentrating a little bit more on stuff for worldwide pants on the outside I mean we have we have a tremendous team here that kind of does the day to day so in the last uh, several years i've you know been focused uh, largely with John of you know trying to do you know really ever since ed um trying to develop other stuff so uh you know for, for us this movie was uh it was great. It was it was kind of like doing a TV show except you didn't have to do 22 hours of it, you know. That yeah. that's always the the trick of television where you, you know, you, you make this pilot and everyone likes it if, if you're lucky and then it's like, "Oh, here's 20, you know, then right. you, it's and, and the analogy we always use, it's we always say what if Woody Allen had made Annie Hall as a pilot for television? And they would have said, wow, this is unbelievable. All right, we need 22 hours of this. But don't you,
1: don't you feel like every Woody Allen movie is another episode in that sitcom? Like, <laughs> I, it's...
0: M- maybe so, but at least, you know, he doesn't have to write all of them within, you know, an eight-month period. And would, shoot
1: them each in five days. I always love this question where they go, um, you pitch something, they go, great, uh, what happens in season three? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. S- space?
0: Yeah. You know, <laughs> they my, go to space. My answer is, it's gonna suck. Because <laughs> even if if Woody Allen had done Andy Hall, episode seven would have been you know the the crappy episode where they go back to his high school reunion. You know, you know yeah. what I mean? Episode nine is the clip episode. Exactly. <laughs> That's Remember right. The time yeah. we, were yeah. we were locked in, in a meat closet. Yeah, we were locked <laughs> in a meat closet. Uh, we couldn't get out. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I think that would. That's the next. That's the next thing someone's gonna do on YouTube is, uh, is basically
2: create the flashback episode of Woody Allen's <laughs> yeah. I think we just wrote an SCTV yeah. sketch from 30 years. <laughs> yeah.
1: Basically. I got like, I, I Rick Moranis. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah.
2: Doing yeah. Annie Hall the
0: series. You Woody Allen.
1: You got you the got your Catherine O'Hara yeah. out right there. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> perfect.
0: <laughs> Let's get those kids together again. Uh, what do we need to do? <laughs> Andrea Martin was a guest, to, a guest on Ed. That was thrilling that's for true. us. Oh,
1: I loved Andrea Martin. Yeah, it was thrilling. I had a weird dream last night. Maybe you can tell me what it means. I was trekking through this weird area, uh, looking on a map, trying to get somewhere. And I kind of ended up in this snowy mountainous region. And then I saw this old man come out of this area, like there's this hole in the side of the mountain. And then he saw us and got scared and went back in. I couldn't even describe who I was with. So he goes back in, and all of a sudden I recognize him as Johnny Carson. I see Carson. And he's really old. And basically what I pieced together in my dream is that he faked his own death for some reason. Mm. Uh, but that he's actually still alive after all these years. Yes. And he gets kind of wistful and starts talking about, you know, that maybe maybe it all wasn't so bad and he was, you know, and then he he was good. he agreed to do the podcast to talk about. It. I was like, I can't believe I'm going to get to drop this on the world that I've discovered Johnny Carson living in a retirement home dug into
2: a snowy mountain, mountainside. This was the exact plot of the movie Prometheus. <laughs> it was so weird.
1: Oh, my God, that's right. Johnny Carson
2: is a prequel to Aliens.
0: Oh, I totally misremember remember that. <laughs> Johnny Carson, in your dream, yes. is the future. He is. Yes. He's, well, he's the future and the past. Okay. So you, by doing podcasts in your mind... You are killing Johnny Carson. Oh, my God. That's what this is.
2: I'm the I, death of the old media. Exactly. i resurrected
0: him to kill him? Exactly. Well, you're, you're, you're killing old television. So what Johnny Carson was and can never be again... Is alive. Chris work okay. is responsible for. Him. Okay. Thanks a lot, buddy. Oh, my God. I feel so good now about the dream. I was just confused by yeah. it when I woke up. Yeah, whatever you need. We're here. I felt kind of good at the same time. Well, you got to see Johnny Carson. I did get it's to exciting. talk to him.
1: I did get to talk to him. Uh... Never met Carson. You must have met him.
0: Uh, I did. not one of my fondest uh, you know, show business experiences, the one, you know, one that I will treasure to, to the end of, uh, of my days, um, <clears throat> we, we used to go out to the Emmys every year, back when we were being nominated for Emmys. Um, <laughs> and uh, we'd have a dinner. We'd have a staff dinner. So one year, Johnny came to this. So I find myself at a big, uh, like an eight-person table uh, with Dave, Johnny... And a bunch of other people. Johnny is very socially awkward. Dave is socially awkward. Um, uh, you know, uh, they just are. They, I think they both would admit that. Um, uh, he, Johnny seemed socially awkward in your dream, frankly. Right, right, right. <laughs> he snuck back into the hole, even, even um, in the ethereal afterlife. Yeah. Uh, so, and they, and and for Dave, I. Dave around Johnny is always a thing to behold because it's the only time I've ever seen Dave, kind of, intimidated by someone. It's 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 kind of interesting, you know what I mean? His his feelings and idolization of Johnny Carson are very apparent. Yeah. So we're all sitting there, and there's you know seven or eight other people. So some woman comes over. I think she was maybe Wolf, Wolfgang Puck's uh, wife. I may have that wrong, but anyway, she she comes over, and. She now starts making a huge deal of Dave. She had met Dave somewhere, and she stands there and she says, Oh my God, we met we met in an elevator and she, and she's very imposing. she goes, and I just kept thinking, I can't believe how big you are. You were so big. You were I just you were so much bigger that and, and it was this crazy thing, right? So all of a sudden, in the middle of this, Dave is completely now tied up with this woman. I don't know how this happens, but Johnny, who's sitting across the table, and I'm sitting two seats from Johnny, we look at each other. And Johnny looks at me. I look at Johnny, and uh, Johnny just goes, "Oh, he's big." <laughs> yeah. And I and I somehow find the courage to go, "Oh yeah, no, that's a that's a big man. That's a big big man." And this woman's now talking to Dave, and Johnny Carson and I begin just tooling on David Letterman together. So it's like literally the two of us going, I, me saying. Where do you suppose a guy like that buys clothes? You know, and Johnny go, I don't know. It's impossible. He's gigantic. And it was one of those And Dave could hear this and was kind of getting a kick out of it. But there's
1: it. nothing he can do. No, because he's, he's tied up with yeah. this woman.
0: But it's just one of those things where, you know, we all have them. If I had ever looked into a crystal ball when I was a kid and thought there's gonna come a moment where Johnny Carson and I are gonna be making fun of David Letterman, <laughs> you know, that's it, I'm done. Not only that,
1: but just, just to be locked in a bit with Johnny Carson.
0: It was amazing it was just the greatest and he really was enjoying it kind of and, and it just it's one of those things that I will you know if nothing ever else happens to me I'm fine
1: I actually heard a story that that's the only time he ever made contact with another human being with the eyes <laughs> uh, he never looked another
2: person in the eyes you, I'm sorry no you go no I was going to say I don't know if you remember my story from this event I should do I, 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 is I, this I, something I could share that's on, up, in the podcast that's up to you I, I will because <laughs> I'd like to have it you know as part of the permanent record I guess um so I was probably like twenty four years old at this thing and an idiot. And um I just decided that I was gonna touch Johnny Carson's butt so that I that's something I have done in my life. And I you know, in a very subtle way when he was standing talking to somebody else, I kinda acted like I was brushing, you know, squeezing by him and I totally got a handful of blood. Did, did you cu- Did you cup it, or did you use the back? I of your I chair? didn't squeeze it. Like I wasn't going to squeeze it and have him whirl around yeah. and stare at me. I just touched it. So like I pressed my palm against it, and <laughs> I'm not. You know, I'm not saying that was an awesome thing to do, but it happened. So now it is
1: interesting that you have one <laughs> hand that it looks like a baby hand now, that
2: never, that never <laughs> aged. Yeah, <it> withered. Yeah, <laughs> it just withered and dropped off. What and did th- he th- didn't notice? No. I mean, I assume you didn't notice. I don't know. We never discussed it.
0: Hey, remember that time I... (laughs) You may not remember me. I cupped your butt. Turn around. Tell me if you remember this.
2: No, I used to do stupid things without thinking about the fact that they could have an actual impact on my life and career. I think in the way that young people feel like nothing bad can happen to them. Um, Similarly... Uh, probably on this same trip, I was in the audience of the Jay Leno show, um, you know, with a couple other Letterman writers. And he was doing a an audience piece where he goes up into the, you know, talks to people in the audience. And you can see yourself up on the monitor if you're on camera. And I was that guy who clowns you know, in the back row (laughs) when the camera's on Jay. I was like, you know, do the little move where, like, you're right on the edge of the screen so you can pull your head out and then back in. Of course. And then out. (laughs) It's a classic. And then back in. (laughs) A classic. And, uh, yeah, and, and of course, somebody I knew who was a writer on uh, The Tonight Show, afterwards, I learned, pointed this out to Jay. And, you know, that that's a Letterman writer. Oh. And I was just... You know, completely terrified. And there was a moment there it was like... What's gonna do? Run, what was he going to do? Run you over with a million dollar car? <laughs> right. No, it was just like, what, what if this is a thing? Because like, you know, at that point certainly, I mean, it's very different now, but at that point, the shows did not acknowledge each other and did not diss each other. Like, yeah. in any way. And there I am uh, from the Letterman show, like, yeah. basically ruining his segment did you get a phone call from jay no but i did have this thing where at the emmys uh there's always this thing before the show starts where people just mill around in the you know 80 degree heat in their tuxes and you know out front before the thing starts and i made eye contact with jay and he totally knew who i was it gave me like a you know the sort of point and a wink thing. Yeah. And I mean, from how it was explained to me, honestly, I think Jay just thought it was funny and didn't care at all. Hey,
1: you want to touch
0: my butt? I heard butt. you want to touch Johnny's butt. Let touch my butt? I
2: yeah. love how I'm presenting myself with yeah. this thing so far. I'm a moron. Yeah. I'm that's, just a moron.
0: That's the media. So let me. Say, am
2: am being writer.
0: Am I being fired for uh, disrupting <laughs> Jay's show or cupping Johnny's butt? I just, just need to know. I
1: just want to ruin my career with the Tonight Show in some way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I, you know, this is yeah. all
2: 20 years ago, though, so I'm cool.
1: Maybe I should. Slap Doc in the balls. I don't know, just something.
2: <laughs> I to mean, do
0: something. Slap Doc in the balls.
2: <laughs>
1: By the way, let's just talk about the Bill Pullman bust you have yes. in your office. Yes. It says William J. Pullman. Yes. Today we celebrate our Independence Day. Yes. What I, I should probably get a picture of that before I leave. Why?
0: Uh, well, this is uh, this is from uh, the movie that John and I have just uh, made together uh, that we wrote and produced together. Called We Made This Movie. Uh, we have our giant uh, premiere. Tonight, although there's no time frames on this podcast, so it was awesome, or it's going to happen, or whenever you're going to post this, you fill in your own time frame, but um, for today, it is uh, we have this big premiere in New York City tonight, mm-hmm. um, and the movie is about these five uh, kids high school kids who decide, we're going to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have no prospects, they live in a horrible town, and they say, hey, we got we got computers, we got video cameras, we can do it. So they set out to make kind of like Jackass, yep. but they're terrible. They're, they, they have no idea what they're doing. They're not fearless, they're not funny, they just they've got, they can do it, but they shouldn't be so doing Jack
1: it. So Jackass minds everything about Jackass.
0: Exactly. But the, <laughs> the trick of our movie is that uh, the main character, filled with adolescent hubris, is so convinced that this thing is going to be huge, that in the second scene, these three freshmen show up with video cameras, wearing these ridiculous hats that have hidden video cameras. The other guy is saying, who are these guys? Well, I've got them. They're going to document this. We need the DVD extras, and we need the making of our movie. So these three freshmen follow them around and shoot every last thing that they do, Um, and what happens is, as the movie goes on, these other cameras start capturing their actual lives, and you realize they realize and the audience realizes the movie they set out to make is horrible but the movie that we have made they've accidentally made a very touching coming of age story about themselves. Is it scripted or is it It's scripted. It there was a lot of ad-libbing, but it is absolutely scripted. So, getting to your question, their big plan of how they're going to release their movie. Uh, Bill Pullman went to their high school in this fictional town of Buckstown, New York, <laughs> and he is a whale in the tiniest of towns. Of course. So, in their high school, there's a statue of Bill Pullman. Yep. And all they think is we well, just got to get this movie to Bill Pullman and one once we do that, we're just gonna go buy butlers and yachts. Like it's that's all we need to do. And so even that is such a foolhardy plan. I mean, Bill Pullman can't even get a movie made himself, and God bless him, he's a great actor and he was fully in on the joke and he, you know, has a great se- sense of himself and I love the guy. Um, but that just shows sort of how misguided these kids kids are. So that part of the storyline is them tracking down Pullman and you know trying to get him the movie and what well, happens. I want
1: Pullman to be president.
0: You know what? He's he he's just sent me an email yesterday where I think he's back on TV playing a president. Let's see.
1: Listen, Reagan was an actor.
0: Yes. He became president. Yes. Why
1: is it crazy to I mean Reagan didn't chip movies.
0: Why is it crazy that the guy who was in Ruthless People on <laughs> in Independence Day... And we made this movie. And we made this movie, could not be the uh, executive branch of the government. He sent me a press photo of this new show he's doing, I don't know what it is, and it's him looking presidential, and I just thought, I would vote for this guy. I would vote for Bill Pullman. Yeah.
1: I feel like, you know, if I ever be, if I ever get to be like a crazy billionaire... I'm going to do shit like run Bill Pullman for president because yeah. it really, <laughs> yeah. this, isn't, this is a soundbite headline news yeah. uh, banner culture. You wouldn't, he wouldn't even really have to have much of a platform as you're long right. as you could plant the right soundbites yeah. and the right headlines, it, he'd have a pretty good shot. He'd get at least 16%. So that's why I need to make a billion dollars in the next four years. How's that going? Well, I just started, okay. so it's, right. not, it's not going well yet. Okay. All right. But I feel like I can pull this off. So at this
0: point, you're under a billion. I'm I'm, I'm somewhere under a billion.
1: I'm I'm, I'm just
2: south of a billion by a lot. Okay. All right. (laughs) Should we start a Kickstarter for Bill Pullman's presidency? (laughs) That's a good idea. I like it. That
1: would be amazing. (laughs) That's not a bad idea. That is really not a bad idea. And I'll just set the date
0: for four years. Right. And I have one question in this. (laughs) Do we need to consult Pullman on this or no? We just, just maybe. Who he the fuck wouldn't want to be president? <laughs> <laughs> like, if you, if you were able to just hand deliver <laughs> that—that that, that right there—is in the movie of this. That's where we cut to. It, 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 cuts from me saying, "Should we consult Pullman on this?" to a scene where then this is already happening, and yeah. Pullman's sitting there, and you are saying, "Well, who the fuck would want to be president? <laughs> what do you mean, Bill? <laughs> what do you? Why are you mad? It, what do you it, mean?" It cuts Bill going, "You go. Should
1: we consult him?" And then it cuts to him going. Do you think you should have consulted him? <laughs> no, no, Bill, come on. You got to get out there. It's yeah. a debate. Because this, this could skate past his consciousness for a while. Yeah, I think so. And then, so if you could just hand deliver and go, listen, Bill, this started out as a joke. Yeah. Uh, or future Mr. President, as yeah. we're, we should call him. Um, but uh, we've raised, you know, $400 million so
0: far. <laughs> yeah. And it looks like this may actually happen. I think we got a chance, yeah. So I really feel like we
2: have a chance. I think so. It's a like, quick question what are your political beliefs? <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you want to bring slavery back? <laughs> I know. <What>? Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Let's just keep that, you know... I also feel like we
1: should send all foreigners back to their
0: country. <laughs> oh, Jesus. This well, is the actual really reason. by
1: the way, that, oh,
2: that, that you're doing there. Yeah, oh, you that, just
1: got to, you just. Yeah, you just, just go, go down a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of yeah. We, we went a lot out of for that.
2: pizza with Bill Pullman. Yeah. Um, we shot in uh, New Haven and they have the best pizza, you know. And we went to Sally's. Charming,
1: we, I like this. He's got a local pizza joint. Oh, this yeah. is all for the campaign. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
2: does he and, play an instrument?
0: He will. <laughs> His double will. The um, flugelhorn. Yeah, <laughs>
2: no, but we we sat at a table and they're e- eating pizza with Bill Pullman and it was fun listening to Bill Pullman eat pizza and just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is some good pizza. Now now I feel like I'm doing Paul Giamatti now.
1: That is a little it Paul Giamatti. it
2: similar. Can you do Bill oh, Pullman?
1: Abigail, Abigail Adams.
2: That's <laughs> what... <be, I'll> <laughs> Uh, can Wait. I do Bill Pullman eating pizza? Yeah, I shouldn't have tried. Ah, this pizza,
1: the crust is fluffy
2: and delicious. That, that is exactly that's exactly what it was like. like. And the
1: cheese just
2: slides off the top with ease. I feel like you <laughs> like must present. have been there because this is exactly what it was
1: like. I think, you know what we, you know what we should do? Here, here's my idea. Yeah. So to get around whatever his political beliefs are, we'll just record Bill Pullman talking about pizza and remove any reference to pizza, and just have the descriptors like be it. about America yeah. or America. Yeah, we'll yeah. relate. We'll replace pizza yeah, like, with America.
0: I think. I think there's a chance that on that night when we ordered so many pizzas, he might have said like, "Yeah, I think there's something for everybody." This is genius. Like that's perfect. Here's
1: the movie. It's sort of a bowfinger thing. <laughs> bowfinger. <Yeah. It's> bowfinger. <laughs> yeah. Where we shoot Bill Pullman, and yeah. he thinks we're just hanging out, but we're actually building the platform yeah. and we're seeding him to answer things that we can then re-edit. Yeah. <laughs> And I, I like the idea that Bill Pullman has, has does not have the internet or a television, so he <laughs> wouldn't be aware. Yeah. That any of this was happening,
0: yeah. And I think the Act Three, or maybe middle Act Two, that's when we find out that he has crazy, like Nazi-like political beliefs, <laughs> and we have to deal. We have to deal with. And then that. it becomes springtime for Hitler. Yeah, then, and then and now we've got to do everything to not get him elected, right? Yeah. But he's now he's taken it too far.
1: Well, that's when we run Danny Aiello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, against him. Yeah. to try to dive bomb. I like this. Uh, or, or he's Danny's the running
0: mate. Yeah, I think Danny Aiello's is the running mate. This is right here the opposite of a think tank. Isn't it? It's just a tank. <laughs> yeah, it's just a tank. Is Danny Aiello alive. Doesn't matter because that makes it <laughs> even more hilarious. a <laughs> weekend. There's a weekend at Bernie's element. Yeah. we right. run a because dead, a dead da- Danny Aiello. We run for president. Right, but he years
2: pitch. ago dead. Right, Danny. So we, we
0: we stuff Danny Aiello and run him for president. That is, it, is a movie we could sell with
1: CG technology and some some editing. Yeah, we could we could
0: absolutely
1: yeah resurrect. I should really find out if Danny Aiello is alive, and I feel really bad that I don't know that.
0: Uh, I think he feels bad that you don't know that. <laughs> <to> <laughs> it's the a, internet! It's a, it's a bigger problem for him that you don't know that he's alive. And then you never
1: know. Like, someone put on my Wikipedia page that I died yesterday.
2: Really?
0: Yeah. You look fantastic. And I they hadn't
2: even that. heard this uh, interview yet. They
1: didn't even know that this was going to happen. Uh, so we're, while, while the internet is consulting, while we're consulting the internet as to whether or not... Danny I think had, Danny
0: Aiello is alive. I believe he's alive I think we well. would have heard that. That's the kind of thing where you'd be like, ah, Danny Aiello died. Uh, but, you know, you... Okay. Still alive. How old is he? Really? Uh, 79. Perfect. He won't even know what's going on. This is fantastic.
1: That's... Yeah, there's no reason he couldn't be vice president.
0: But I do like the idea of running a dead guy now, because I think that Weekend at Bernie's Element, I think, can make this over the top.
1: Yeah. Um, now, is there any like voodoo element where, when music's playing, he it comes to life, and then we have to stop him from dancing around the stage during
0: a debate? I think that's too unrealistic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what we're gonna suspend. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. to keep it we'll real. Lose people. Yeah, then. I yeah. think so. I think people will be like, no. I am a big, I'm... I am a big
1: fan of zombie Aiello. <laughs> <laughs> <The> vice president, <laughs> and then all this, and then and then halfway through he attacks the other, yeah. the other vice president. Yeah, he
0: eats the brains of uh, the debate is him eating the brains of the other guy. Whoever it's
1: gonna be, if Biden or Orion or whoever it's going yeah. to be in four years. Uh, that uh, we'll, This is good. I like this it. This is really... You know, listen, I came up here just thinking we were going to talk about the yeah. business. And in fact, we've not only... We've, we've created craft, it. We've crafted an amazing... We all
0: have our next project. ...cultural tale. Yeah.
1: That Someone is going to start this, by the way. Yeah. Someone is going to do the... Why wouldn't you throw up a weird Kickstarter and just say a billion dollars? Can you do that? You probably can. I guess Because if it doesn't fund, it doesn't matter. Right. right. What if you get like... What if you get like 990 million? Like you're so close, but it's not kind of fun unless you hit a billion. Yeah. And you call, you think Dave would kick the last 10 million in? I absolutely think he would. Yeah. He's he could do that. Yeah.
0: I don't. That's pocket change for him.
1: <laughs> he wouldn't even miss it. I love the idea of just just not, not now actually think get being more serious and going back to when you're talking about how Johnny was an awkward guy and Dave was an awkward guy. I have some understanding as a comic, like oh, on stage you can be all comfortable and loose and and take anyone on, but then off stage you just can't communicate with other people face to face. To
0: clarify for Dave, I don't I don't think Dave is awkward personally. I just think in certain social situations, I with think there. Well, certainly with Johnny Carson, you know, I mean that's you know, such a huge part of his life. But I think in you know in big cra- I, I think Dave is not comfortable being a celebrity. There's some celebrities like Regis for example who is loves being a celebrity. Right. He is a, in fact he lives near me in Connecticut. I've run into him in the supermarket and honestly Literally, he is Regis at all times.
1: Why do I? Why, I I'm not going to be surprised if one day uh, he jumps out of the Michael Strahan suit.
0: <laughs> He's actually just
1: been inside operating it in like a Men in Black alien. Very possible. All this time. Very it's possible. been me the whole time. Yeah. Or whatever. But he but, that,
0: but that's what he. But honestly, when I ran into him in the supermarket, I, like I looked at him. Hey, Regis. And he goes, How come they're stuck in the cat food like this? I'm like, Regis, you don't like have to be. It's Sunday. Like you don't. But that's. Did we get he that is. take? Right. No, Regis, we're not on. Uh... That, that's what he is. And Dave, you know, he just he isn't that. Kind of guy, you know. Show business, there's. It's, I think it's two kind of guys, right? And and Dave's the other kind of guy. So I think when he's around, a lot of people. Yeah, you know, socially awkward is not right—the right word. But he's, you know, I, I just think he's not comfortable. Uh, you know, he's not a—he's not a performer that well,
1: way. Well, not knowing—not knowing, having not knowing, never having never met Dave. Oh, we haven't met him either. Not—we <laughs> <laughs> hear. Here... <laughs> not knowing anything. John touched his ass once. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was probably—that was probably okay though. It's just what I do.
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> That's going to be your thing from now yeah. on. Asses yeah. I've touched. You're going to have the have coffee to touch table the ass book of
1: every late night host.
0: Yeah, Pat Sajak. I see the wheels turning.
2: The wheels are turning.
0: So you are going to have just... to hit Chevy Chase and Dennis Miller.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> man.
0: is well, a good question. Who, who would be the worst late-night talk show hosts asked to touch? Oh. What would make it bad? I mean... Oh, I think you know what's bad. I don't know. I It's all the same to me, honestly. That's the, I, maybe you should be president. <laughs> Isn't Did Regis ever have a late-night talk show? No. Oh. Well, I don't know, maybe back in the 20s. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he just used to
1: show up to an empty sound stage yeah. but they didn't have the technology yet. wasn't been- he I think he Hey, this pal, is. you sure this you don't is, want to slide a
0: finger in while you're down there? <laughs> <laughs> Number one. I'm just just for the, the record, party. that was Chris, not me, just yeah. in case. Yeah. This is Rob Burnett doing an impression of Regis Philbin begging for someone to invade my anus with the finger. Nope, the whole ass thing and the finger thing, I'm steering clear I am
1: definitely Rob Burnett in this scenario. Nope, nope, nope. Not me. This is my personal platform.
0: Now I have an English accent for no reason. This is Rob Burnett, representative of world Pants, saying Regis Philbin likes Suddenly, i now, I'm now, I'm Robin and leech all of a sudden english regis, english <laughs> regis. a nice little yeah. bit for
1: your
2: act too i think
0: and
1: that's not all let's go to the guest <laughs> house in the back and dinner for 50 <laughs> is
2: robin
0: leech still alive uh i don't know if you touched his ass ever uh he'd be a good one i think what about Morton Downey Jr.? Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah not you remember when you I know. said
2: it's all the same to me? I would not want to touch. You'd have
0: that. to dig up the remains of Morton. That's like your quest. That's the last item on the bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> you
2: just jam your finger into a pile of ash. <laughs> uh, God,
1: it smells like anger. Hey, uh, I, I am. I hope Dave appreciates again, not knowing anything about him personally. Uh, but I, but I always sense, you know, like like you said, Johnny's this idol that he holds. Like he's the guy. Johnny's the guy. Yeah. Um, And you know, I'm just assuming piecing what I know from most comedy people, that we're never fully satisfied. And so I hope he does appreciate though that he that he is a hero to a whole you know to a huge generation of of comedy types.
0: Yeah, I I don't I don't know I don't know that he allows himself that. It's it's you know maybe in his private moment I I would hope that at some point. You know, he can take a breath and kind of realize what he's accomplished, but he he gives no outward indication of of being able to do that.
1: Is it dangerous to do that? Is it do? Do you think we have to constantly be in that in that like I'm never satisfied because it just keeps us
0: kind probably, of trying to get... probably so. I mean, I I you know, but but there's levels of that. I mean, I think Dave of of people I've met, he is. There is no one harder on on himself and material uh, than than Dave. And and frankly, it's it's I think a great thing for for people like for, for me and John who, who grew up writing here. Uh, it, it's 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 in your DNA. You know, you, you learn from writing here that the first three things you think of that anyone else would be satisfied will be rejected by Dave. So you push the fourth thing and the fifth thing. And I, I for. Whatever happens to me in my career, I think is largely owed to that process. Yeah, you know, it's it's and and I think anyone that comes out of here will. I've I've seen the interviews. I think George Meyer uh, said the same thing. I I, everyone that goes through this process, uh, I think. It's like boot camp. It's comedy boot camp.
1: Well, I don't know how you... I mean, the idea of being... Because you, st- you were, started interning here in, like, 85. Two weeks ago. Right. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's a fast it's rise. It's a pretty
1: sweet office for an intern.
0: Yeah. Everyone else touched celebrities' asses. I was the only one that didn't.
1: <laughs> See, John? <that's...
0: laughs>
1: yeah. Your little bit didn't pay off.
0: <laughs> I think I it did. Um, I
1: but uh, I don't... I mean, it, just the idea of being a kid in a, in a room... And not being so overcome by fear. Well, I guess in 85, Dave's still, you know, like a, a No, a he, young... was,
0: he was already starting to be a deal. And I was completely overwhelmed. When I, you know, I started here as an intern right out of college. Um, I was in the talent department. And then I started writing jokes. And then eventually I got um, a writing job. Um, funny story about my writing job. Uh, I made a, sub- so you have to make a little writing submission. At that time, the staff, there was very little movement. It was this group of... Guys, and they, no one, there were no jobs. Finally, one opened up. A bunch applied, and uh, uh, there, it came down to three people um, from all these hundreds of submissions. It was a guy named Boyd Hale, who you have no reason to know. It was me, and it was Conan O'Brien. Oh it, shit! The three of us, and Boyd Hale got the job. And what's great about this is that Conan is still to this day extremely upset about this. <laughs> it's one of the greatest things I love about—I love so much about Conan. But this in particular, I love. I ran into him at the Emmys. I don't know, four years ago, and uh, we happened to chat about this. And I—if you mention the name Boyd Hale, you will see him flush, and he'll—he—he he still can't believe he didn't get the job and he said and he'll t- tell you that he just thought this was a fork in the road of his life because he really he went to Harvard back then the, a lot of the guys went to Harvard he was a real profile of a letterman writer yeah. and hilarious by the way and they just wanted to try someone from the outside this kid was like a copywriter from Oklahoma and and Conan really just thought so in his mind, there's an alternate universe where he is a failure or something. because I said to him, Conan, you're you're rich, you've got your own show, people love you, you know, you're hilarious, it's all fine. He's like, ah, Boyd Hale, I can't believe Boyd Hale <laughs> got <laughs> that you know job.
1: Boyd Hale is like sleeping in a barrel. Yeah, ex-
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that job ruined me. Because <laughs> that's what poor people do, they sleep in barrels. <laughs> they do.
1: No, well, some days they sleep in barrels, it's just I think if you, if you really understand how it works, they put suspenders on a barrel. Right,
0: exactly. That's their clothes. Which becomes their clothes <laughs> and <in> their are <laughs> sleeping. Like, yeah. like, they're,
1: they're,
2: I, I guess in the, thir- in the 30s, homeless people were like turtles. Yeah. And they just had these barrel shells. <laughs> I've never understood that image. Yeah. Like, wh- were barrels more plentif- plentiful and easier to acquire than, fabric than, than a sheet?
0: Yeah. Or, they also seem very uh, heavy. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it, it seems—I don't want to get correct, but It seems day. like it would rub, rub against your penis, or kind w- of, right? It's, like, well, it's yeah. wood; like it's it doesn't feel comfortable.
1: Well, back in those days, everyone—everyone uh, everyone was heavily calloused just from living in the twenties <laughs> <20s> and the thirties. <30s. laughs> Uh, the depression really. But
0: no more so than the people that wore barrels. <laughs> well,
2: I think your penis had a tiny barrel
0: around it. Oh, maybe oh, so. Yeah, that's, that's how right condoms so. were invented, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the if you go if you Google uh, Wikipedia will tell you. That's that's where it all came from. I'm positive that if you
1: have a barrel as a condom, you cannot get another barrel pregnant. <laughs> I, I that's what I that's what I think I know. Uh, but yeah, pe- people were more robust back then. Yes. Now we're just a- we're soft. Yeah, we're soft. We're soft. We're, we're, we're a culture of uh, cotton, of hand sanit- it's a cotton. sanitizer, pussies. That yeah. Could never. It's survive. a cotton culture now. That's right. That's you like you know when you go, oh, it'd be really fun to go back in time. And I always think you would never survive. You know, suck. No, you, it like, You wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to handle the whatever the the indigenous bacteria right. were. You're right. Uh, the wa- the
0: drinking water no, was. John and I have had this conversation many times. That that uh, you know a king in the 1700s his, you know, his life was nothing compared to the average person that goes to the mall, to the food court mall. Right? <laughs> like, if you think about it, that, that it's a bounty of food, of yep. sushi and chickens and all of this stuff. Yep. The king back from then. From all could, over the world. Right. China, here's Chinese food and hot dogs and all this stuff. It's insane.
1: That, that people would have died to just bring back like, a fucking right. jar of pepper. Right. Salt. That's, that's you know,
0: <laughs> six, 600,000 guys died bringing the queen salt. It's like, really? Where I come from, this Spices in tiny paper packets. What's <laughs> paper? Exactly. Like it's,
1: yeah. we, we are we are spoiled now. We are absolutely. spoiled. what do you think the next generation? What do you think the next gen? The next like ten generations are going to be spoiled over? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, good question. I don't know. Maybe we'll go back. You don't know. It could be the big circle.
1: Back in the old days, they wore cotton on their bodies. <laughs> like savages.
0: <laughs> so, But I remember, the first time, getting back to uh, to that, I remember very distinctly the first writer's meeting I went to, and I finally, I did get the next job. Um, and I was 24, 25, sitting in this writer's room, and I have never felt terror like this in my life because it was all these guys that had been doing this for a while. I'm sitting in this and my it's my dream. You know, here it is. I'm, I'm now in this room and it was a top 10 list meeting. And Steve O'Donnell, who was just this crazy genius, you know, he was the head writer and he was just really one of the funniest people I've ever met. He's running the thing. And all of a sudden, you know, it was pressure. It was right before the show. We used to write the top 10 list back then, and, and so he's, you know, he goes, think, think, and and some one of the other writers said, what, you want me to take a drink? And then another writer said, you only hear what you want to hear, and then another writer said, then why am I hearing you? <laughs> and I literally wanted to say, thank you gentlemen, I'm going to get up and open a deli, it's been fun, I'm going to leave this room now, I don't belong here, goodbye. <laughs> uh, I love that joke. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was like that. That is like a comment thread on Reddit or something. Yeah, yeah. You're like, and it, you only hear what you want. To hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it literally happened in four seconds, and I just was like, "Ho!" Oh, By literally, my bowel released, and I just, oh, I'm like, I'm in the wrong business. I've got to get out of here. And, the top ten lists.
1: I mean, like that defined. People still, when you're pitching, when you're when you're doing a show, and it's and there's any kind of talk, you're like, "What's our top ten list gonna yeah, be?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, don't do a top ten list. It's yeah. already been done perfectly. It's
0: funny because Dave here is asking what our top ten list is gonna be, meaning we need a new one of those, and we can't come up like with like there's
1: it. the. I just I love the formula that, my. And, and I, I hope this isn't taken the wrong way, but I just love that number one was was not always the best oh, answer. Don't, don't get me started because oh, yeah. this we is can, uh, actually this is per, this, this is perfect
0: for the, the nerdist. You want nerdism here? There's a but when you watch the top ten list,
1: there's a formula. Oh yeah, you go. You know, first one funny, next three great, like fifth one amazing. Here's you know, the, I'll tell you here, the Here's
0: the formula. Now, okay. now every head writer and, and I was head writer. John at a separate time was head writer. So we, everyone has their own little, you know, fit, But I
2: I he, just used your formula. Okay,
0: here's my here's here's my <laughs> here, here's my top ten formula. All right? It go, it goes like this. Now keep in mind, just for all the snarky people listening to this, you want ten amazing jokes. Then it would be easy, but you don't always you know what I mean? You don't have all the. I think the time. it works
1: better that they're not 10 amazing jokes. It gives it a flow.
0: Exactly. You don't want 10 amazing jokes, you want a flow. That's what we're going for. So here's what it always was. Number 10 for me had to be very straightforward and reinforce the premise. Yep. You didn't want anything nutty. You know what I mean? Right. right. And what, so like here's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's top ten. Number
2: ten is the one you might you might see that in the trailer for the top ten list where it's just showing you exactly here's what this concept. It's is. It's structurally ex, expositional. Right. right? It's, it's
0: it's funny and and you want to get a laugh because you know you want to get a laugh but it's just it's right it's your down the middle. Hand
2: into the yes. Yeah.
0: Get get what we're doing, people. That's what number ten says. Number nine similar you know but you might start taking a little bit of a chance but you still you know you want to get the the list you know generally in comedy you want to build right you have to
1: guide the audience however
0: you also want in the top ten you've got to turn the laugh on right so it's two different things right? you don't want to go from these suck 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 funny 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 because by then they're gone right so I always wanted to make the first two you know not the best but like we got to get some laughs. Yeah. Now when you get to number 8. Okay. <laughs> now you've earned your right to take the chance, right? That's now amazing. you're going to put the one on that you love that you're pretty sure the audience may not, you whoa, know.
2: Whoa, oh, oh. whoa, whoa. In my mind, seriously, this is number seven. Well, it is number seven. Why do you got to touch his bit's butt?
0: No. <laughs> well,
2: like I told you, it's well, what I do. You're,
0: you're, you're you kind of right. S- seven, seven. I, I went a little too far. No, you're absolutely right. In the formula, seven is the one that you're really going out there with. That's true. Okay. But eight, you're, you're, I, I stand corrected. You you're are, taking chances. You on are eight. correct. Eight, you're starting to take a little bit of a chance. Okay. Right. Seven is that's correct. Seven is the one where it's like, all right, people, you know, this is for this is for the nerds. This yeah. is for the comedy nerds. It's a great joke. We're getting points in heaven. Hopefully, you're going to laugh. If you don't, it's your problem, not ours. Right. That's number seven. Because number six, (laughs) you've got backup coming around the corner. Yep. Because and this makes no real sense. John, actually, I remember this is one of my favorite things. You probably, I don't even, you probably remember this, but one of my favorite things is, John at some point, he's just got this very beautiful. I mean. his, you know, he's got a great way of thinking of things which is why I love working for him
1: he almost said a beautiful mind he, which he, is he, a different... well
0: he, he sort of does have a beautiful mind a beautiful comedic <laughs> mind um, but he also has a very understated low key soothing baritone of way of saying this and, and I just remember there was one day well, first of all, I'll explain the principle so number six is the crowd pleasing one that's going to get applause, yeah. or it's
2: maybe not, the woo, which you right. don't seek in comedy, but you'll take it from a number six because you just want to make sure there's noise. It's a, it's a
0: tent pole in the middle of your list, right? So you've got this thing that right here you've yep. got a, you know, it's the one where Dan Quayle's an idiot. You know, It's like, <laughs> that's your number yeah. six. The pandery crowd, right? Exactly. Right. right. If, you're you gonna
2: pander, age, if you're going to pander, it's literally always six. you
0: just say Dan Quayle is an idiot. We actually, that's all. Yep. but just that actual one yeah buttafuoco was one for <laughs> a <while>. uh, <laughs> every every, <laughs> every day one. judge Eno. in fact one, judge Eno. <laughs> you, know, you know one of my think fa- that one's still on Leno's list <laughs> right <laughs> you know one of my favorite things ever with the top 10 list was this was amazing so we had done Butafuko Buttaf- at one point was just it was a switch. He'd said Butterfucco and the place went nuts. There was one time where we were done with Butterfucco for like a year. He was out of the news. We had some list. It was a completely random list. I was in Dave's office and I just said to him. What if just? I mean, literally, it was like top ten. I don't know. Signs the president uh, is is dumb or something. No, no, it wasn't even. That. It was. Just, it was. I can't right. remember the topic, but it had nothing, yeah. even syntactically, even grammatically, where Buttiglione could answer the like the topic. Signs,
2: signs. you have a bad dentist
0: or something. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but not even that because it would that almost would suggest that Buttiglione is your dentist. Like it was. It literally had You're nothing right. to do with it. And I just said, can we just? What if we just put on Butafouco and just see what happens? We just put on Budafouco in the middle of the list a year later. And we did. And it was like number three, Budafoco. The prize goes insane. <laughs> they went nuts. They were screaming with joy and they loved it. But anyway, getting back to John. So number six was always is the big crowd pleaser. Yep. And 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 the top ten, you know, we have two panels of graphics, yep. right? The first on one and then on the other. Now
1: you gotta wipe the graphics right, right over.
0: And for years I would always say, like, well, number six, and and this may have come from, some of this may have come from Steve O'Donnell, who I inherited the job from, I, so I, you know, some of this may have, all credit to him, maybe, I don't know even anymore, but it was always, uh, well, number six, you know, that helps us get to the second panel, you know what I mean, because right. you get the new panel, and for years, I've been saying this and saying this, and one day, one random day, John like, he just says... It doesn't take any extra time to get to the second (laughs) panel. Which is completely right. There's just no pause. You don't... There is... It's completely... The old guy doesn't have to come out and reload the panel. There's nothing... It's absolutely unnecessary. Wiped off the chalkboard from the old There's nothing... And it literally just... But so focused on this for several years until one smart guy just says, you know, that makes no sense at all. And he was completely right. But nonetheless, six is... It's still in your ten-pole position... Uh, five, I think you start to take another little chance with, but here you're now starting to build your better jokes, right? And then maybe, f- I, I, I mean,
2: if we're going to get super anal about this, I, I would say maybe I was wrong to do it this way, but when I was putting them together. I think five would actually be one of your weakest jokes
0: because you had six. You just got I, the big laugh for six, so you you could tail off of that. It's like I just got to
2: keep it moving. At that yeah. point, right? I think five and eight would be where I would stash my least favorite. That's jokes that's on the exactly list. right.
0: That's exactly uh, me too. Same place, and then and but really, and some of this you work in reverse when you the, usually the, the good ones. Number two is always the best, right? Because number one kind of gets number one has to be short. That that's the, important to Dave. So, too. so you
1: can ramp it up and go. And hey, number one, toast for breakfast, everybody. Boom! And David, the band
0: and is Dave. Always wants number yeah. one to be the funniest, so he sometimes will get on you for that. But but
2: he also, he also wants, it, wants to it to be, be very short and pithy. So
0: based on that, number one is just kind of like it's a it's a cherry on a Sunday. It's not the funniest thing necessarily, but it's like ah, there's your ender. But it's short. Two is always the funniest. And three was always, I thought, the second funniest. Because you really want to kind of get that ramping up. And I would say four, probably the third funniest. Right? Or maybe
2: ten. Yeah, well, ten
0: could... Maybe ten. Ten might... Yep, I agree. Maybe seven, you know? Well, seven could be funny in the... If they get it.
2: Seven's the Charlie Kaufman. Yes. You know? Yep. Two is the, uh, what? Seth MacFarlane. It's Hangover. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's always like, two is that last lilt.
1: Like right before number one just glides you into, exactly in, 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 into Paul. You in got the band.
0: it. You are now qualified to be head writer. Oh my yeah. God, that's great! Speaking of this, you now have more. When I became head writer of the show, uh, Steve O'Donnell left. I was twenty nine years old, and so as terrified as I was when I got into that room to you know to to do to be a writer, uh, I'm twenty nine years old, and they call me in and they say, "Oh, you know, uh, Steve O'Donnell is leaving. You're going to be the head writer." And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. And and now I was too dumb to be scared, actually, because I'd been in the room and I I had had some success at this point. I was, you know, feeling pretty good about stuff. And I'm like, all right, great. And I had a good relationship with Dave because I was sort of in charge of the remote pieces that we yep. had d- d- had done for about a year. So, I, you know, worked with him very closely. So I'm like, okay, great. And I went, I remember I, was, I went away uh, by chance for the weekend with my buddies um, and, uh I came back on Monday and I realized I had no idea what the head writer did, none. (laughs) Like there was, you know, because the way the show works is it's the writers and then the head writer really was the, the, you know, it's the complete interface with Dave. It's it's changed a bit now, but that's kind of how it was. Um, There was the one little pocket of the remote guy, so I had that one interface, but I really didn't know literally anything. Like. How does the top ten list get into the machine? Like I didn't know <laughs> how to do any of it, and I've never. And it was and it was actually awful. And for the when I was first, and Dave's way a little bit is he will kind of put you through the test. At least he did with me when I, because Steve O'Donnell, you know, couldn't couldn't have been better as a head writer. I mean, he had been, done it for six years. He was you know he he, he was the king of this. Uh, you know, created along with Meryl Marco a lot of the great things on this show. I, I credit to, to Steve and Meryl. Are you still at NBC at this point? Still at NBC. Um, last year at NBC. It was the last year at NBC. Cause this was right when John. Yeah. John got hired right before I was head writer, um, and uh, and the beginning was really rough. And I, I remember Dave just torturing me but really for good reason you know I, I was tentative which does not play well against him, you know with him. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I remember just really floundering and then there was a turning point for me there was there was one day we were down in rehearsal and we didn't know what we were doing like he, Dave uh, threw out the act one the act one is our comedy piece throughout the act one we had nothing rehearsals running out everybody's looking at me. I kind of had this other thing that was sort of half baked, I had a couple other things and I and and he just got up and left.
2: Oh, rehearsal.
0: Cuz sort of it was kind of over but there was nothing going on. There was nothing to rehearse. So he kind of got up and left and it was like 10 to 4, rehearsal ends at 4. I'm literally, you know, seeing my life and career flash before my eyes. So I went up to his office and I said, "Well, because there were two options, and everyone was asking me, well, wh- "What? which of these are we going are, are to do? And I went into his office, and I said, uh, so uh, what are we going to do? And he turned to me in a very stern voice and said, this is supposed to work the other way around. And he turned and walked away. Oh, shit. And that moment for me, that was the moment where I just said, he's right. It is supposed to work the other way around. Because you've got to keep in mind, I was also running a writer's room with guys that were, you know, 10 years, like all these guys that, you know, were intimidating to me as a writer were in this room. Mm-hmm. You know, not all of them. A lot of them had gone at that point to go to the Simpsons, but they're still, you
1: know. Were they crusty that you got the head writing job?
0: No, no. There was no. Actually, there was not resentment that I got the head writing job. It wasn't that kind of situation. I had everybody's support, but I still was intimidated by a lot of these guys. And and it's it's sort of like being the quarterback of a football team, where you know you get called in, you're the backup quarterback, and you're in the huddle, and you're like, all right, guys. So what what, what, what kind of play do you think we should run? Right. You can't do it that, and you got to get to the. You know, and literally the next day, I just said to myself, I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to fail, but I'm I'm not going to go out this way.
1: Well, there is that kind of switch that clicks when you're nervous and tentative and you don't know if you should be there. And then one day you just kind of go, what the fuck am I freaking out about? And then you just, you kind of just grab it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, everything kind of falls into place. I I
0: think for me, my my dreams overwhelmed my fear. You know what I mean? At, at some point, I'm just like, this is, and it happened too when I was a regular writer in that room. I'm just like, this is all I've ever dreamt of in my life is to be a comedy writer. And, and, and then in my later life for this particular show, and I now have an opportunity, I can't let anybody stand in my way. I just can't be intimidated. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not going to be. I might fail because I suck, and if and that, we'll find that out, but I'm, I've got to do this. And from that point on, uh, you know, I, I took control of the thing, and, you know, Dave and I then had a great relationship. I mean, not necessarily within 24 hours, but eventually it all kind of clicked. And then I was head writer really at a very fertile time where we went from NBC to CBS. What
1: a weird transition, too, because, I mean, you know, I don't know if... I mean, I guess people who listen to this podcast would have an understanding of it, but... But there is definitely a tonal shift from from late, late night to just late night. Yeah. It's a much more – it's more primetime yep. kind of an audience. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, how do you take a guy like Dave who is really the sort of rule breaker, you know, uh, and, and make him palatable for a bigger, broader audience?
0: Yeah, but you know what? D- Dave is also very smart about that stuff in his own way. Like he – first of all, Dave, you know – he was getting older, you know he was aging as well, you know what I mean? He wasn't old, but you know the idea of like jumping up and going onto velcro walls had already started to become unappealing to him. yeah do you know what I mean like he has a very good barometer of kind of evolving himself mm-hmm. in a way, and I think a lot of what happened for us first of all, I think Dave himself was very conscious of Johnny Carson and what Johnny Carson was, and I think he himself knew there are certain things at 12.30 that won't play at 11.30 I'm, I'm now in front of a broader audience I need to do things a different way and I so I don't think anyone cajoled him you can't you know, he, he knows what he wants to do and he does it I think a huge factor in the evolution of the show and John you can probably back me up on this was the theater yeah. um, the, the, the studio at NBC uh I think it's at 160, 6 a It's very intimate feeling. Oh, I've seen the, I've
1: seen those little studios. But I saw Conan's old studio, and it's like, yeah, same studio. It's ti- Oh, okay. Six A. It's then really it,
2: small. It's
0: tiny. It's like a, I think I think 160 is the number I had in my head. Maybe I'm wrong. And and our theater here is 461, and it's an enormous space. Yeah. And it also opens up onto the street. Yeah. Which was a huge part of the show when we first came here. You know, that's when we started to realize. Wow, you could just open the door, you know, and t- put a camera. But out this there. the
1: Ed Sullivan feels like a theater too, and and the old NBC in the NBC studios, the, the people are crammed in, They're sitting elevated. in bleachers, yes. looking down at the show. Right. But yeah. in the Sullivan Theater, people are sitting down, looking up at a stage. Right. That's a different. It's di- a different comedy dynamic. It's it's
0: it's really different, and it's and it's and you found that there were, the, the show, needed to get a little bigger as a result of. Yeah, it. I
1: mean, e- even just from a even just from like a, a dynamic standpoint, it's. He's in a much more socially um, uh, uh, reverent position, being up above everyone as opposed to
2: people pointing down going, hey, look at that. He's jumping up on that Velcro wall. Yeah. I think there's truth in that. I mean, I was only at the old show for a year, so I'm not the authority on it, but when we started at CBS... Some of the best shows we did, I think, were shows that you couldn't have done at NBC. And I love this stuff on NBC. I'm not even saying one's better than the other, but, like, the show at CBS started to feel on good nights almost like a comedy circus, where it was, like, a crazy level of activity and production that was just so much fun, you know? You could just do these big, silly, ridiculous shows, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: and I think that would have been harder in that little boxy, you know, studio.
0: We filled up the stage. I mean, that that's thats what we did. We filled up the stage here. And, and... and some people liked that less, by the way.
2: You know, I think most people liked it more. But I think there were some people who, you know, probably went on to become big Conan fans, you know, as well. Who, like, you know, I mean, from a comedic standpoint, I think I was drawn to the awkwardness at, like... I mean, I've told Rob many times, like, when I, when I got hired as a writer, as a, a kid, the big lesson I had to learn was that Dave actually wanted the jokes to get laughs, because I'd been sitting watching the old show in my, you know, college dorm room or whatever, and what I loved was when he would do a weird joke, it would die, like there'd be silence, and then he would, you know, have to wriggle his way out of it or get mad. You know, I loved when he got mad. And I thought, that's what the show is. The show is about a guy who kind of is cranky and gets mad at, at how crappy He
0: kind of is now. <laughs> we're back. We're back. <laughs> but, I, but I loved
2: that. And I sort of thought, okay, what, what my job is, is to come up. Like, I remember some of the things I wrote, you know, when I was first starting that were – extremely um, uh, non-sequitur based mm-hmm. comedy, which did I you, actually... Did you been, find
0: an old packet of your stuff you were telling me that had my notes on it of when yeah. you, the stuff you turned in?
2: Yeah, and you had written things like you know, like I uh, keep in mind the point of this is to actually make an audience <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like I'm a dick and, and, No, but I looked at the stuff and I was writing For what I thought was... You know, shooting at a particular target, it was just the wrong one. I was trying to write the stuff that was so weird that people would stare at Dave like they didn't know what he was talking about, and... Because that's what I enjoyed watching the show. That's that's kind of a young comedy writer thing, though, is
1: yeah. to like I'm gonna go fucking weird, yep. and I'm gonna make the audience be like,
0: what? Yeah, you get that all the time here. With, yeah. with it happens traditionally here when young kids come in, and and but you can see that you know, and certainly with the case with John, who honestly ended up, you know, possibly being the best writer ever here. I, I would put him up there. You know, oh it, you, you see this. You know, you can see the liveliness in there, and then you just have to try to shape it and, you know, get it into form and, and then people start to figure out, ah, here's how we can do this. And we can keep the brightness of it and still get the laugh. It's kind of, you know, when I was head writer, I always used to have this uh, the, the, the comedy quadrants which, John, is,
2: is completely, completely... I have heard this term in a while, Yeah, this is I'm good. I'm sure he's yeah. sick
0: of hearing it, but, but <laughs> it, it's it's... What I just fully believe when you're doing a show like this, and, and maybe with all comedy is, you know it's it, you've got the four quadrants and you've got on one side, you've got the stuff, that will get laughs, mm-hmm. and on the other st- side you have the stuff that doesn't get laughs, right? That's the that's your horizontal, your vertical axis. Yep. I mean, you really can orient it, your chart. You guys can orient your charts any way you like at home. <laughs> I
1: really want that to be horizontal.
0: <laughs> you know what? I'm going to do horizontal for you. Okay. And then the oh, other no, wait, I like vertical because I like watching you put your arm up. Just make your <laughs> mind up. Well, because you have another axis. We do diagonals like pizzas? <laughs> no, that's too complicated. Okay. So you've got one half of the side where people are going to laugh, the other side not going to laugh, and then you have above you have stuff that is really good, you know, the stuff that comedy writer like that you're going to get points for in heaven. Sure, that, that's just good. It's original and it's fresh and it's good. And then you've got the stuff on the bottom that is not good. It's pandering and bad, right? So when you look at those four quadrants, what you have is you've got that stuff that, you know, like the Dan Quail stupid and, and and it works on the television show cuz everyone laughs. But it's it's on this side of the line, right? So it's, it's, so
1: it's good because it does well, but it's bad because it's it's, not it's, funny, it's bad comedy, right? So right. you're
0: right. So it's not really good, and the people at home, you know, probably shouldn't really be liking that. It's just, but it's it's keeping the show moving, yeah. right? And then and then you have the best the best stuff, which is you know, like I put for example, um, uh, like those pieces we used to do, like Dave with Rupert, where you know Dave would, you know, tell Dave. Uh, tell Rupert what to say and then Rupert would repeat it John's idea by the way and interestingly almost was John originally it was uh, like my friend Phil or something it was called It's
2: called Fun with
0: Phil Phil. and John was going to be the guy that Dave just as a stooge would repeat everything and then at the last minute Dave's like I think we should have somebody that's kind of attached to the show that we know so we turn it into Rupert but that stuff would kill it was hilarious and it was very sophisticated and rarefied like the stuff Dave was saying was weird and beautiful and just, you know, as high-level comedy as you can get. Like, that's the quadrant you want to be in. And then down here, you have stuff that comedy lovers love that gets no laughs at all. <laughs> that, but, but you know what? I would put some of that on the show every once in a while. And and the example that I always use, um, and I think a writer named Donna Carey wrote, Donna Carey wrote this. Um, it was a viewer mail letter. They'd come in. It was like something like Dave, what do you do on the weekends or whatever? And and the joke was just like, oh, or what did you do last weekend? I had a meeting with uh, uh, the silent fake with, with my silent fake beard club, and it was a flashback. And Dave's like, oh, and then you literally see this long table, and there's a big banner, and it's silent fake beard club, and it's a bunch of guys sitting there with beards, and no one saying anything. For a long time. And then someone, like, I think bangs a gavel or a clock goes off, and they all get up and, like, okay, good job, see you next week. Right? That
2: was one of my favorite viewer yeah. mails ever.
0: And literally, when I tell you that played to dead silence, you have no idea the silence. And I knew an audience. Is just not going to understand that, but you know what? You got to have some of that. Well,
1: but the, and that, but and, but right there, that's the quadrant of the mystery science theater quadrant of like. But the right people will get this, sure. right? And you and you and I love this idea of the comedy quadrant because, you know, and then I think the top ten list is sort of a microcosm of that because you, it, it requires a perfect balance of right. all of it, yeah. in right. order to kind of mix it up with the audience, right. and pull in a lot of different. Well, that, people.
0: that that's what I think the, the writers don't always understand, and myself included when I was a writer, you start to learn when you're head writer is that there's a whole show that has to go on here. It's not just about your little thing, right? So there's guests that come out, right? Dave has to, there's, Dave's gotta be out there in front of an audience and do stuff. So if you have, you know, another rule that we didn't talk about at the top 10, very simply for all the analysis, I never wanted to have two jokes that didn't get a laugh in a row. Mm -hmm. Because I knew if two didn't get a row, it didn't get left a Dave would then start blowing through the rest of the list because yep. he'd lose confidence in it. And to some extent, that exists on the show as a whole. You know, you, you you know, it's okay, silent fake beard, that does something to the show in that theater. It brings the energy down. Right. Dave's got to climb his way out of that. You know what I mean? You can't just keep doing that to him, like one thing after another. You but know what I mean? But then
1: that's what kind of makes... Then that's what kind of makes following it up with Buttafuku even more genius is that you are... Purposely manipulating the audience in a way that allows you to do the kind of jokes you want to do and then do jokes
0: to balance it up. Is that Dave? That's Dave. The podcast (laughs) is going on to stop talking about me. (laughs) That's Dave. I can hear you in there. Actually, it's Dave calling about he's just found out that uh, John touched Johnny Carson's (laughs) butt. (laughs) Uh,
1: Johnny came to my dream last night you know in that snowy mountainside he lives in.
0: Oh my god, you too?
1: (laughs) That's just how Johnny appears. Sorry. Did you just hang up on Dave? Yeah. Yes. I told you not to bother me. It's like that old Rickles. uh... Oh
0: yeah. (laughs) You know that story, right? With Frank?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That he was. That he was the only person that when Frank would call, he'd be able to go, I told you not to, and then hang up on him.
0: No, no, no. Well, it's a version of that. The, the, the show business story that I've always heard is that when Rickles was starting out as a kid, he, you know, he was opening for Frank, and he said to Frank, you know, I'm having dinner with this showgirl tonight. If you could just come over and just say Oh, hello. right, right, right. And then he comes over and, and Rickles says, I told you not to bother me during dinner, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was great. It was great. So, how, you know, it,
1: how much... I mean Dave, it seems like he's in it.
0: I think so, you know, I mean Dave is uh, you know, he he's he can still get around on the fastball. That's what it kinda of comes down to. You know, I, I think I once heard Dave say, um, I once heard Dave say to to um, uh, I think Emmett Smith, but I could be wrong, uh, during an interview, Emmett Smith was talking about how the thing that made him retire from football was that he couldn't take the practices. Mm-hmm. He was fine for the game, but he couldn't do everything he needed to prepare himself for the practice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and Dave, I think, has come to the point where, because this is not professional football, he has very smartly kind of reduced the energy and effort, you know what I mean, that is needed to get him to a point where he can still get on air. Yeah. You know what I mean? When he's on air, he's a, he's a, he's still amazing, you know what I mean? But the sh- the, sh- the shape of the show, production-wise, has changed. I mean, when John and I were hit writers, you were in his office all day long. You were pitching jokes, you were doing all this stuff. You know, he's kind of delegated that stuff a little bit. I'm sorry, that's my office. This must be something super
1: important. Robert, stay. were you talking about my process again? Hello? <laughs> hey, do you want to touch his butt? He's just. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, about that. what's that's that? Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but what's interesting about Dave is that you know you see him on the air and he's as quick as he's ever been you know what I mean and and what I think what's interesting about a show like this is as Dave gets older and and now he's got a kid and of course there's always new topical events there's always inputs that are coming in so now you've got you know a, a, a sixty plus year old guy making fun of stuff with that perspective you know what I mean yeah. it's it's, it's Dave, Dave again has I think been very smart at evolving himself you know you don't want to be Gallagher smashing watermelons at 65, and you're no. still smashing the watermelons? You want to move to cantaloupes or grapes. I think so. <laughs> and Dave has moved to grapes. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, we've got our ending. But that's it. <laughs>
1: uh, but but Dave, Dave, Dave is a guy that makes me not be afraid to get older. He's looking at me and go, hey, you know what? He's yeah. in his 60s, and... He's still cool. He's still, he's still cool, cool, and he's, he's still funny, hilarious. and, he's still, he's, still relevant. and he's, still, he's still working every day. Like yeah. it's not, yeah. You know, like, I, maybe I'm not, maybe, maybe it can be okay. Like, he, he actually, so now that I'm starting, now that I'm kind of getting to that age where I go, oh, yeah, you know, there's an end point to everything. Yeah, It's nice to go, all right, but it doesn't have to be then. Yeah. Like, he's, you know.
0: No, Dave, Dave is still funny in in a, in a cool way. Like, he's, he. it's a kind of amazing to me that, you know, because we do know what happens to older people in comedy. You know, it's that mystery where... A lot of them just lose their way like they're just they cling to kind of old stuff or whatever it is and they're just making jokes that are really old-fashioned and you just kind of feel like ah just you know you used to be a genius and now you're not And Dave is just not
1: doing I think that. I think that has because I, th- I think about that a lot obviously. and I think a lot of that has to do with um, with uh, desperation and hunger. Like you know when you when comics get to a certain level of success usually, They get very comfortable, and they get kind of cushy, Mm -hmm. and they just don't have that hunger to go out and try to, you know, there's a a weird, there's that desperation in comedy where it's like, no matter how cool you are on stage, you still want people to like you. Right. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be doing, it wouldn't matter to you to try to make people laugh because you wouldn't give a shit. Right. So, you know, when people get comfortable, they don't, they're not as hungry, they don't workshop as much. They're not looking at else, what else is going out there. I mean, like, you know, Joan Rivers came on the podcast, and she's still super hungry, and she's still super fucking funny. Right, she's yeah. amazing. And so, you know, she's 79 years old.
0: But I think some of it goes deeper than that, honestly. I do think that's a huge part of it, but I think some of it, too, is a real... The, the thing that I fear the most is your ability to kind of update your sensibility. You know what I mean? It's right. like... It's it's kind of interesting for, for, for me, because I... I think that there's a lot of stuff that we did on this show that um, you know, I was a part of as John was a part of many people, uh, that I, I think is now commonplace. You know, I, I think Dave, uh, there's a sensibility, a Letterman sensibility that has now kind of gone out into the world. Oh my there's it's no it's like the base question
2: sensibility. There's yeah.
0: no
1: question. It's 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 a very uh, it's a very it's a very aware, um, self
0: referential, right. right. ironic, dry, fucking it's, with the system, right? Like, yeah. But what's interesting now is you know, and it's funny I had this conversation with my kids where you know they're watching, you know, whatever they're watching, and I, and I have to try to explain to them that like you don't understand how unusual it was for 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 Dave to like you know show a stage hand you know back then to do a comedy bit or have this guy Larry Bud Melman who of was just course. so strange like show business was very polished back then and of course there's weird pockets of examples I think like Ernie Kovacs or something before Dave so you know that always happens with the way things evolve but Dave really popularized a certain sensibility and it's funny John and I actually ran into this problem ourselves when we were making this movie um the kids, uh, so when they go out to do their bad jackass movie, um, we thought what we would do is we'd have them go out and do remotes, sort of the way we do Letterman style, and we'd actually interact with real people on the street. bore
2: Borat, but you know the idea bad. being that they're bad at mm-hmm. it, not a genius right. like Sasha.
0: But it was kind of interesting because we sort of got out there, and what well, we kind of both, re- I mean, there were a lot of reasons where that, Aspect of things had to be changed. To, 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 it's different now in the movie. But I think both of us, when we were sitting down trying to do these remotes, had the experience of realizing we, by definition, you know, we did all of these remotes like in 1994 and 95. <laughs> like we did all of this stuff. And it's now not new anymore. Because we did it and right. now everyone else is done. I, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to overblow our state, you know. Ever, I feel like in but,
1: this instance it's okay to do that. But, but do you
0: know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there's even a certain kind of like cut, I mean, to get very nerdy about it, but where else but here, I mean, there's a certain kind of like cutaway that we used to use on the, on the Letterman show of like, you know, all of a sudden that weird, awkward cut of like just some weird guy staring at, at something that yeah. you just see now in commercials and it's just the way things are done. So it's like for, like, If I were to go out now with Dave and, like, start doing those remotes and doing them and then, like, oh, here we go, I would think this is funny. And it would be funny, but – It wouldn't be fresh. It wouldn't be fresh. That's so
1: funny that in a weird sort of way, you guys started this thing that if you did it now, people would be like, oh, that's hacky. And you go, no,
0: no, but we – You're right. It wasn't – But this is is exactly the point I'm making. I think this happens to, like, genius comedians. Like, you know, people – I'm not saying this happened to them, but, for example, someone, it could happen to someone like Bill Cosby, for example. You know what I mean? Like where he was this, you know, you know, groundbreaking kind of genius comedian who now is doing stuff, you know what I mean? Like it's, or look it's like, at Woody Allen, where Woody Woody Allen, sometimes now, example.
2: if in one of his movies he does a Woody Allen line, Sometimes people look at that and are like, "Ugh, you know, like right. what, what is it seems he?" Seems
0: jokey. It's just kind of like,
2: but it's exactly what he was doing 30 years right. ago. It's the and way it his genius.
0: It's the way his mind works, and it's what he finds. Well, funny. I
2: guess just you know, pr-
1: you know, with comedy, you, you just have to surprise people, and when they feel like they're not being surprised, right. And they feel like you know, ah, you already did that. I mean, it's just like it's basically just like. Watching a magician do the same trick twenty times, right. and then after a while, you're just like, okay, yep. I know. Oh, yeah, I could kind of see where you hid the. Yeah. Huh, all right, you know, it's just people, yeah. people need that to be to be engaged,
0: right? And I think that's that. I think is the real challenge is to kind of continually to push yourself to update your sensibility, and and I think that taps into what you're saying uh, in terms of hunger. You know, if if you're not really driven to, to do that because we look all three of us were attracted to comedy in some way we saw whoever it was you know for me I don't know Albert Brooks of course Woody Allen you know the usual suspects you know Steve Martin Bill Murray and you just loved it so much and you probably in the beginning you know almost were imitating them and then suddenly you were trying to find your own voice within them and then breaking out to your own voice yeah. and, and that's hard work really hard work and you know, when, when when you're right, when you start to get successful, you're you're kind of like, ah, uh, you know. I you know what I
2: this makes me do. think of? I mean, you know, I I think you have to allow yourself to continue to be pushed by what's happening in the present day. Yeah. Like even by people who are younger than you. Right. Like you have to allow them to be the fire under you. Mm-hmm. You know, and like actually, the, I think this movie is is sort of an example of that because. Like, we've, Rob and I have never written anything before this that had swearing in it. Like, (laughs) you know, basically, you know what I mean? Everything we've done, or at least that's been, you know, produced and made its way out into the world, you know, was, you know, The Letterman Show, Primetime Series, you know. It's, you know, you're always pushing the envelope of what you can say, and you can be very funny by almost saying certain things. Yeah. Um but we never actually said them. And like so here we are making what's meant to be a movie made by real, you know, young people, real high school kids. And like you know, th- there was a lot of conversation about well, what is the rating of this movie going to be? Like how should yeah. we be writing this movie? And they t- they talk like we talk, you know. Right. They 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 curse and they they make, you know, dirty jokes sometimes and it, you, you know and like Obviously, that's what everyone does now in popular, you know, especially youth-oriented movies. But, like, it's kind of amazing to me to think that I had never produced anything well, that's, with an R-rated it, sensibility what my that's
1: whole That's the vernacular work. now. I, I'm so surprised now when I see online people are like, you know, if you say shit and they're like, Hey, swearing. You're like, really? In
0: 2012? (laughs) (laughs) you got the internet now. What's the the problem? But it's funny because this issue we dealt with directly in in the movie itself because beyond the cursing, you know, a lot of what's funny, uh, like a a funny part of this movie is, you know, they're sitting there. uh, there, there, There's a scene early in the movie um, that, uh, you know, is is really there kind of for comedy writers in a way. But LeBron, the main character, they've tried this, this... stupid thing chicken with a boner is their idea so it's literally him he's walking around with a chicken suit and a tennis ball can and it's just it's, it's horrible and it doesn't go well but then there's this thing where he, and this is really for all the people that have ever worked for talk shows. <laughs>
1: that's what a guy, that's what a guy trying to be hilarious would do. Exactly, chicken with right. A boner. Right. right? Chicken with a
0: boner. Like this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. To right. the
1: two things are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> individually. Right. it's,
0: <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So that 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 <laughs> fails horribly. And then and then and then in the next scene, they're all sitting around and and, the, and everyone's depressed. And you just see LeBron is is sitting there and he's got the big board. And he's got the cards, you know, which anyone that's ever worked for any the of these cards, cards the, on the, big the board. index cards with the ideas, mm-hmm. you know, all taped <laughs> up. And so he's been up all night just brainstorming by himself because he's a little more enthusiastic about all of this than, every, than his buddies are. The buddies are kind of doing it, but he this is really his thing. So he's got the big board and he's got all of these ideas. And, and John and I had so much fun writing up, because we didn't have to actually do these ideas, but you just see, it's a good freeze frame moment to just freeze and just see what some of these cards, like his ideas, the names of the sketches, you know what I mean? It's like, I think one is like, you know, vaginas on everything, um, you know. It, it was just, just ridiculous and and the one they uh, they look and they and one of them is called shitako yeah. and and that's the one they and they and they what, what what's shitako and it's and so basically telling them it's it's you know we, we get a giant taco and we fill it with shit and we eat it and they're all just <laughs> looking at him like and he's trying to explain like that's what you got to do in a movie today like that's because then everyone's gonna say like did you see that movie where they ate the shit you know and like they just have no do you know what I mean like it's this thing where they they it's can't perfect,
1: what you're describing is a perfect distillation of the internet right, exactly <laughs> constantly having to right. top so we just sort of it, but we made this movie is. By the time... Well, this is a will up tomorrow, so that means the movie is open today.
0: Yeah, right? the, mo- the movie, the big premiere is tonight, so unfortunately, tonight... You could watch it. You could have it. watched, could have it, watched for it for free, or streaming God. it online for free. Damn it. But Hartwick didn't care enough about you. No, I. Nope. I, I didn't. Let, let him pay. You said, "I don't care. I don't care about the forty. <laughs> Nothing I can do with those forty-seven percent." <laughs> You're like Rodney, Forty-seven percent of my viewers, I don't listeners. Forty-seven
1: percent just want you to give them the <laughs> movie for free. They're never going to pay for a movie. I'm
0: realizing that all of your impressions are the same voice.
1: What? Hang on. Now,
0: <laughs> is that now I'm
1: Obama. <laughs> <laughs> no. They're all sort of that Robin Williams yeah. voice. Now yeah. I'm Sarkozy. <laughs> oh. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. Chicken with a boulder. Oh The pants and everything. Oh, shit taco. Oh, somebody shave me. Please. I can't see through my own face anymore. Oh.
0: <laughs> that
1: last one was good. You really oh, nice. got him
0: there. Um, yeah, so the movie now um, is available on um, on iTunes and all that stuff, but you know, one last great thing about this movie that I have to mention is that we crowdsourced the music. For this movie. Oh shit, that's awesome! Yeah, this, this, this was is really cool. Amazing thing. We hooked up with Red Bull Soundstage, yeah, um, and uh, we put four scenes of the movie up on Red Bull, and we said, "Send us your music." and we got we thought we'd get like 30 or 40 submissions we got 1200 songs from brand new bands oh cool John and I listened to every last one of them they were great we ended up putting 22 songs in the movie brand new uh, brand new songs uh, brand new bands you've never heard before the soundtrack is is awesome one of the bands got um, a shot on Letterman of Gentlemen and Cowards played last Monday these four Canadian kids were just from college couldn't believe it you know they got on here so it's been it's been a great The whole release structure, Snag Films is our partner on the release, Um, this online premiere was, you know, went amazingly well last night. The people <laughs> loved it. Um, so it's it's a whole new way to release a movie. It's, you know, it's, it, it, hopefully, it'll, hopefully it'll all work and uh, by the time people are listening to this, John and I will be gazillionaires. Buck,
1: buck, buck, get on to my cock. I'm a chicken <laughs> with a boner. Where were you three months ago? Oh, I didn't know about it. Oh, God. <laughs> I would have written chicken with a oh, boner for you. Damn it. I wish um, we were here. So, so. really, it just it, it just kind of in closing, uh, uh, Yes, if, if we Yes, if we
0: make a billion dollars, we we will get Pullman to be president. President yes. Pullman!
1: <laughs> There'll be a place in the cabinet for you, President Pullman. Um, uh, just for both of you, uh, favorite, if you can remember, just favorite favorite moment in the last uh, several years of working on The Letterman Show. What, what's a moment where you just stood off the side and went, holy shit, I can't, you know, this is amazing, and I can't believe that I get to contribute to this.
0: Well, for me, um, I think the moment, the, the, the moment that I think I remember would be we did a piece uh, called uh, Dave and Steve's Gay Vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Steve Martin's idea. Um, oh, I remember this. Yeah, it was very funny. Steve Martin's idea where, you know, basically he... It was they went on a gay vacation together. Um, <laughs> a and, gaycation. A gaycation. <laughs> nice. And uh, John and I wrote a lot of it. Uh, Steve Steve wrote a lot of it, too. And I, I directed the little piece. And um, it was one of those things where there was a moment in time... And I think I have this footage somewhere in a box, and I, I hope to God it's not gone. There's some B-roll. I'm standing, and Steve and Dave are, are sitting uh, in in two chairs, and I'm directing them and I'm explaining what we're doing, you know. Yeah. And there's just this thing where, and I was very focused because you know you're on a schedule and all that stuff. You know, you're doing, you're doing, you're doing. And I'm like, okay, no, it's got to be like this. And, and and at that moment, I've I've lost. You know, I, I, I'm I'm so focused that I'm not aware enough to realize who I'm talking to, really. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm I'm real I'm just I'm completely it's that thing that we all wanna have where you're just in the moment. But all of a sudden as I'm doing this, and it's just this footage of the two of those guys looking up at me and nodding <laughs> and I'm explaining explaining and literally there was all of a sudden it hit me that I'm standing and I am now telling Steve Martin and David Letterman what to do, and they are listening eagerly to what I have to say, and that was the moment that I just, you know what I mean, you have that flashback moment where I'm just like, oh my god, Uh, you know, how can anything ever be better for me in my life? Then
1: then you gotta be careful, because in those moments it's like, Just when you're learning to juggle or whatever and then you finally get it going you're like, oh, I'm juggling and then you drop everything. Exactly right.
0: Exactly right. And that probably happened but it doesn't matter because I was juggling.
1: (laughs) I'll take it. By the way, I could have gone with vagation but honestly in my head I was like, but if you saw it written out it would just look like vagation.
0: (laughs) Which is a whole different thing. And that wouldn't make sense. (laughs) Well, depends on the guess. Just to give you some insight into my process. What what about
2: yours? Um, Well, this this isn't super recent anymore unfortunately but, uh, you know, I would say that one of the best experiences I had working on the show was just riding around in the van when uh, Dave would do these pieces with Rupert that Rob was mentioning before these fun with Rupert is what we called it um, you know i remember uh, I remember at the time that you know this this was a piece that that people really liked, and that uh, like cool comedy writers that I looked up to, I remember hearing that. They wanted to just get the unedited, you know, uh, raw footage of Dave doing these things, which I still think would be, for any true comedy nerd, would just be like, oh, you best. know, holy grail. I mean, we had to cut these things into pieces, pods. but if you, yeah, we call them pods. But if you really wanted no, to that, enjoy, that's when
0: pods got invented.
2: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was amazing to watch in real time as you know we would we would pull up to some street corner. And Dave would uh, say, you know, to Rupert, you know, go, go up to that guy eating a hot dog. And Dave would just start creating a world, like in real time, like the best, you know, improv comics can do um, out of nothing. You know, where you know it would always be something like you know, like I, you know, I, I, I just got in from you Brazil. know, from Brazil or like a, you know, like you know, Fort Lauderdale or whatever. You know, he had always just arrived from somewhere, and he just starts making conversation with with somebody who does not want to be spoken to by a small Chinese guy in a backpack and big glasses, and it was just beautiful. I mean, and I, I you know we didn't have to work very hard on those pieces really we just sat back in the van you know maybe tried to come up with a thing or two but Dave would just spin that stuff out of nothing and it was just
0: it was amazing
2: just beautiful and amazing to watch I, I think that that would be a real highlight. I yeah, just I just got
0: in from Brazil and I'm, I'm looking for a nut store. I think you got to do go, yeah. a nut store. Like, what? Do <laughs> <laughs> you think they have cashews? do They have cashews. It's like the Filberts. Fill, yeah, they have Chocolate Filbert's? covered raisins. Yeah, like, <laughs> do oh, one of the one of the greatest ones ever was at one point we had we had two walkie talkies and we would go out with with Rupert and this guy Leonard Tepper who is this God weird. God rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, Maybe him for the uh, vice president for the movie. Yeah, but he, he was this round. He was a
2: homunculus. <laughs> he,
0: he, was...
2: <laughs> <laughs> he looked like yeah, he was uh, like Tweedledum uh, and Tweedledee. Like he looked a, like a like a weeble. A weeble.
0: Like a weeble. Right? He like, was a
2: perfectly round, was round, bald guy. He so a, he would wobble, but he wouldn't fall down. Yeah, yeah. with a New uh, York actually, he, did <laughs> he did fall down. <laughs> he had a voice from from like like a uh, like an old like uh,
0: uh, three... he sounded like a Curly. Sort. Yeah,
2: he was like one of the three Stooges. He was, he was a character.
0: Was that we cast and that we yeah. just started using him. But so we start going out with the two of them, and Dave had two walkie talkies. And we, st- you know, but there was one time I, I, I think you were there for this where they're, they're sitting at a table <laughs> at a, table yeah, at a restaurant, an outdoor restaurant. So the waitress comes over, and he's got both of them, right? So he's now he, he's doing he's
2: doing two microphones. Both, two one microphones that feeds to Rupert's ears, and, 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 one and that Dave feeds is kind of Leonard almost
0: Tears. doing Leonard's voice <laughs> when he's talking to Leonard. So he's like, you know, like, you know, hey, hey, do you have clams? Do you have clams? and he'd say, "Yeah, Laura, uh, hey, you, hey, you can't eat clams. You're allergic to clams." <laughs> no, I'm not. But what was great is that at some point, I know we got to call. I'm gonna, I'm wrapping this up. At, at, okay, okay. Um, at, at at some point, the the waitress went away and there was like a 30 minute period where Dave is just doing these two guys talking to each other. <laughs> they work for us. Like they're just sitting there. There's no more interaction with other people. And they're just human puppets. He's puppets. <laughs> he has, yeah. It's a radio play with human puppets. He's just like, come on Larry, I don't wanna to go to Florida. Why, I like Florida. <laughs> just like <doing> this. <laughs> uh, you, you, you don't use enough suntan lotion when we go to Florida. Yes, I do. You didn't put it on my back properly. <laughs> just creating this world, it was amazing. Um, I have to go, Now you got to go, because you have s- to get clips me, on it,
1: because you have a show that you have to
0: make. Well, yeah, we've got the premiere. This is the big premiere that happened last night that was amazing.
1: Well, congratulations. It was a pleasure. It's so much fun I'm hanging out. with really fun meeting awesome. you. I'm when I come back, you know, we'll, we'll come, on and, and you come back on, and, and we'll talk some more. I
0: love it. I, I'm a huge fan of the show, honestly. You guys do a great job. I, I listen uh, uh, religiously. It's great.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, President Pullman in 2016. <laughs> Enjoy your Badafouco.
2: <Butterfuku. laughs> Badafuco
1: As
0: writers, we'd written our share of murder mysteries. So when suspicion turned to Dan's wife, Nancy, we weren't that surprised. The first person they look at would be the spouse. We understand that's usually the way they do it. But we began to wonder, had Nancy gotten so wrapped up in her own novels... There are murders in all of the books. ...that she was playing them out in real life? Follow Happily Never After Dan and Nancy on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Happily Never After, Dan and Nancy, early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.